You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Delirious Nomads your Blacklight Media Metal Blade Records podcast where we talk all things metal. And we don't use we don't use the word legend lightly around here, but we've got a real legend on the show today. Um, we've got Jay Rustin, who is essentially a record producer, but does all of that, right? Engineering and mixing. And I've, I've made a list here of some of the bands and projects he's done. He's either done, he's either produced, mixed or engineered records from Meatloaf, Adonis, Slayer, Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth, Stone Sour. Shall I go on? Killswitch Engage, Steel Panther, Armored Saint, Avatar, Amana Morath, Coheed and Cambria, Mr. Bungle, and just for good measure, and why not, Diana Ross, Wilson Phillips, and Morrissey. Like, what? What? Come on, man. That's legendary <laughs> stuff. Legendary stuff. I'll give you a slight correction. The reason that the you probably have Metallica Slayer and Megadeth is because I mixed the Big Four live DVD. Yep. yep. But the Anthrax portion of the Big Four. So. They, you know, Metallica paid for it, produced the whole thing, but each band had their own mixer, but it. it's listed as a credit on my IMDb, you know, all music because I worked on the whole record. So technically just mix the Anthrax portion of that, just so people don't go, wait, he didn't work with Metallica. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. My mistake. It's confusing because, but you know, Metallica is so great to work for and they always pay for everything and take care of everybody so nicely. So they're, they're amazing. And we did do one more thing for them, which was the uh, Black Album tribute that came out earlier this year with Corey Taylor. We did a single and Metallica treated everybody like gold yet again. Great. Amazing. Um, so what you do is, you know, and I spent a couple, I was fortunate enough and thank you. Uh, you welcomed me into the studio uh, for a couple of days um, when Avatar was doing their last record. And um, what you do is to me, it's like, I, I don't understand any of it. <laughs> um, it, it. And so I guess my first questions are like, how did you get started doing this? Why, why we were attracted to being a producer as opposed to maybe being a musician um, and how did you learn all the stuff that you know? Because watching you work was like magical. I had a very strange road that led me to sitting here in 
Sherman Oaks blocks away from you. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I was I grew up in Canada, southern Ontario, right near Detroit. So I would constantly cross the border into Detroit to see concerts, you know, late 80s, early 90s. I saw literally every amazing band, you know, Harpo State Theater, all the great clubs in Detroit. And I just loved music. And I was a bass player and I had bands and we would play and not really tour so much, but and then when I got to like college age, there was a school not too far from me, about, you know, maybe about an hour and a half from Toronto in a city called London, Ontario, uh, that had a recording school. And there was only two in Canada at that time in the early 90s. And one of the teachers was a producer named Jack Richardson. And Jack produced the Guess Who, American Woman, all that kind of, all their records, Bob Seger's Night Moves, uh, a couple Alice Cooper records. He basically discovered Alice Cooper, discovered Bob Ezrin at 19 years old and mentored him into the you know mega producer he is. And Jack's son, Garth Richardson, is good, good, good Garth, which is his producer name. And he did Rage Against the Machine and Mudvayne. So I kind of had this, uh, you know, rock royalty in this small town Canada recording school training me. And I decided to go to that college and get that engineering degree, basically, and then immediately move to Ottawa, Canada, which is about the last place anybody in the music industry should move to, because there's nothing going on in Ottawa, except the fact that Alanis Morissette came from Ottawa. And I got a job working for this producer named Leslie Howe, who discovered Alanis when she was 16 and did her two kind of Tiffany dance pop records that she did, you know, before Jagged Little Pill that most people in the United States don't even know exist. But in Canada, those were platinum records. And she was basically Tiffany in Canada. Right. And so I started working for this guy and he was brilliant and really great producer. And then he had a band that was signed to Interscope called Artificial Joy Club that were like an alternative rock band. And he was going to LA a lot and he decided to move to LA in 2000, well, maybe like 1998 or 99. So in 2002, 2003, since I was still working for him in Canada at his nice studio, he said, do you want to come to LA and work for me here at my studio in Studio City? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. So I got a work visa and came down and I literally basically started over again because nobody in LA cared at all about any of the records I made in Canada. They just, you know, it was about what have you done lately and what have you done that's cool here. So I started working under other producers and finding bands. I go to the Viper Room and the Whiskey literally four nights a week and just finding bands. And I ended up, one of the first uh, producers I met and worked with was Peter Asher. And Peter was a big part of the Beatles career. He was in a duo in the 60s called Peter and Gordon and Paul McCartney wrote their two hits. And he ran Apple Records for them, basically. And then he signed James Taylor. He signed Linda Ronstadt and he produced all their records. So he became this mega producer in the 70s. So I started making records with Peter, sort of being his engineer. We did Wilson Phillips. We did Raul Malo. We did Diana Ross. And, you know, I just learned so much from him. And then he introduced me to Desmond Child, who, of course, wrote with Kiss and Bon Jovi and Ricky Martin. So I started making records with Desmond and learning, you know, like just that a whole pop world style of producing. And I mean, we worked with Katy Perry before she was famous, Leanne Rimes. I mean, everybody came through Desmond's store to, to write with him. Paul Stanley, you know, the Live to Win solo record was all Desmond and the Swedish guys. Uh, Andreas Carlson, who I also worked with a lot. He wrote all the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC songs with Max Martin. So I was getting all this pop music work and 
we worked on American Idol. And so I was getting all this amazing experience, but I wasn't making rock and metal, which was my love, but I was getting incredible experience. So around 2008, I get introduced to the Steel Panther guys and we decided to make a full length record and I made their first full length record for Universal. Uh, and they introduced me to Scott Ian, who then introduced me to his wife, Pearl. So I started making records with her and then I was brought in to finish worship music with Anthrax, which was their first comeback record with Joey Belladonna. So it all just kind of like this weird road of getting me to, you know, working with all these metal bands sort of started with Steel Panther, to be honest, which came from uh, a local band in L.A. called Paperback Hero, who would open for Steel Panther all the time and basically introduce me to them. Interesting. That's a, that's a great story um, that, you know, starting over in L.A. thing is, you know, it's, it's Natalie was an actress. My wife, Natalie, has been an actress. She's, she's an opera singer, but um, she acted in Austin for 10 years and she did all these commercials and she got all this work and, you know, she national commercials too, like Denny's and Axe Mouthwash. And, you know, so she would be seen from coast to coast, but she did it all in Austin. And when she moved to LA six years ago, like you said, nobody cared what she did in Austin. It was like, we don't care. That's, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not Hollywood. That's Texas. Like we don't care. And she, her, and her work, and her work completely dried up, and she had to start over from, from the beginning. So I sort of understand it on a on a different level. You're busy. I think it makes you better at what you do too, because it, you realize that even though you might be good at what you do, everybody else is as good or better than you. So it immediately makes you raise your game and realize, okay, I really need to figure out how to be better. Right. Right. So you're constantly busy now. You've always got projects in the works. When did that actually start happening where you were just, you know, you got to a point where you're, you've got four or five projects lined up or whatever? I would say probably after that first Steel Panther record, it did very well. And then working with Anthrax, then the phone and the email just started, you know, going off weekly and needing a lawyer, needing a manager, you know, all that stuff sort of came in the following years. And it's really never stopped. Thankfully, I'm very lucky because, you know, I have a lot of friends that have struggled over the years or, you know, had dealing with the whole COVID situation, lost a lot of work. So and I was very fortunate to be busy for the last few years, especially. But, yeah, it's been very consistent, you know, since the mid to late 2000s. It may not be an easy question to answer because all the bands are so different. But, you know, you have, I guess, a style, right? But you, but each band is looking for a different dynamic, right? A different sound. like. What's your approach to, I'm so mystified by what you do that I don't even know how to ask the right questions. Like, do you try to lead the band or do you kind of let the band lead you in a way and then you just work, you know, you know, give suggestions or. It really depends it who it is. And, you know, because I work with a lot of older bands, you know, legendary, been around forever, made a lot of records. Sometimes they're the ones looking for the most guidance. How do we make a record in 2022? How do we be relevant? How do we, you know, are, is, are our songs any good? You know, I get those questions, so I have to help them answer it. And it's not like I'm that much younger than a lot of these artists, you know, but I guess. And then when I work with a younger band, sometimes they're either so hot headed and knowing exactly what they want that they don't. What what is my position? Like, why am I even there sort of situation? So it really is artist dependent. I worked with a great young band on Roadrunner called Joyous Wolf last year, and we made a record that's not out yet. And they were fantastic. They, they wanted guidance, but they also really knew what they wanted to sound like. So that's a good combination where the artist knows exactly what they want, but they also want to hear what I have to say. Then, you know, it's a good relationship. 
I've been in situations where I've been hired to produce and my opinion or my ideas aren't welcomed. And I'm like, okay, well then why am I here? You should just produce this yourself and I'll mix it, you know, which is, you know, I'd rather just let them do it and, you know, not be one of these heavy handed type producers, which also can work. You know, I know lots of guys that get in, they write the songs, they play on the songs, they produce the songs, they mix the songs. That's not really my style. I like to come in when the band's got it kind of together, help them work on the arrangements. And then once we're in the studio, it's capturing performances and basically just make the record as great as possible. And then, yeah, augment the songs, make the arrangements better, add better things, add better ideas. It's not even genre specific. Like I'm finishing an Avatar metal record right now, and then I'm going in to produce Air Supply, which is a 70s, you know, (laughs) Yacht rock band, basically, but their songs are incredible. Their musicians are incredible. I will approach it exactly the same. What I'm, I'm assuming that you've dealt with this without naming names. Like, what happens when you're hired to produce something and you hear the material for the first time and you, you don't think it's good? It's usually uh, slightly the other way around. They would send me the material first and say, "Are you interested in producing us?" All right, of course. And if I thought the material was weak, I would say, "Look, I." And especially if I like the artist, I would be like, look, I'm a fan. I like what you're doing, but these songs aren't up to par. Would you consider, you know, working on them more? I don't always suggest bringing in outside writers. It's not that I'm against that because almost every band is doing that at this point in the recent rock and hard rock world. Not every band, but many. Um, So I don't necessarily suggest that right away unless it's a situation where they're just not coming up with anything or, it's just not there, but it's a great band, you know, that, and that can happen. It's, um, sorry, go ahead. Can you break down how the writer thing works? Cause I feel like a lot of artists don't understand about how, what you just said about how pretty much all major artists now in rock and metal are using writers. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. It's sort of two different scenarios. One is the band works with a writer producer So the producer is somebody like myself that comes in to make the record, but they also co-write every song with the band or in some cases completely right. I mean, Def Leppard, Mutt Lang, that's he's a he's in Def Leppard basically for those years that he was producing those records. Other than standing on stage, he sang all the backup vocals. He wrote probably 50 percent of the songs. You know, they probably wrote the riffs and he helped with everything else. So that that happens a lot now. There's a lot of great producers out there that are doing that. There's Then there's guys that are just songwriting. You have songwriting teams. You have songwriting groups. Um, they're, they get together with the artists, sometimes on Zoom, sometimes in person. They write a bunch of songs. Then the artist takes that group of songs to a producer, and that producer realizes the vision. Or sometimes the writer, as I said earlier, is the producer. And I've been in both situations where I've been brought in to work on records where the band has written a bunch of the songs then there's three or four of like the focus songs that the label wants you know to be radio singles so those are co-written with like today's hot writers i suppose you could call it does that make sense like am i answering your question yeah yeah no absolutely i just think there's a lot of like mystery i I think like with metal in particular there's sort of this idea that like the band is doing everything and i think when people find out that no, the band is not in fact like doing everything, they get thrown off. Sure. Well, and it, again, it's artist dependent, it's producer dependent. 
there's lots of um, relationships. Like if you take a guy like Kevin Churko, who produced Disturbed, and he's basically done, I think, almost every Five Finger Death Punch record, except maybe the first one. Um, you know, that that's a, a relationship where he's producing and I think co-writing a lot of the stuff with the band. And then you have somebody like myself with Anthrax. I don't write at all. They write everything, but I'm very involved in the arrangement and, you know, helping them hone those songs into the final product. So just, it's just a slightly different relationship, really. Yeah. A lot of the younger metal bands are definitely co-writing with their producers or with outside writers, but not all of them. Avatar writes everything they do. Corey Taylor writes everything he does. Slipknot never writes with outside writers. Anthrax either. So it's just... Metallica, of course, you know, write all their own songs. I'm just, I'm seeing it a lot more with the younger bands and I'm seeing a lot more labels pushing the younger bands to use outside writers because it's like radio, 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 playlist, playlist. You know, they want yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, hit songs, but I prefer to rely on the artist first, write your best songs. And if we need a couple outside, then so be it. I produced a band out of Texas called Crowbot last year. I love them. I know those guys amazing band and they sent me 40 some songs and we narrowed it down to like 12 or 14 and i think 10 of them the band wrote themselves and there was four co-writes and you know initially the label was pretty focused on those co-writes being the first singles and the first single's been out on the radio and climbing the charts for about six weeks now and it's fully written by the band and the co-writes will come you know as singles but they went with a band written song first so I think the band was really stoked about that, but we also love the songs they did with the outside writers too. They're, they're excellent songs. And do you perform on records when, from time to time or? Very rarely. I do some programming. I'll play percussion. I do. I'm a bass player by trade, but I don't play that much. And once in a while I'll get asked to play on something or I'll just think I can add something, but not, not too often. I don't work with a lot of solo artists per se that where I have to bring in all the different musicians. It does happen, but I've, the last few years mostly been bands so when you talk about because all your records obviously sound great you know and you know how big of an avatar fan i am and um and i love those records and i love the production on those records but like how different is it pr producing avatar versus say steel panther right both metal bands but wildly different fan bases and whatnot it's a very different process because avatar is a complete democracy like those five guys are like brothers i've never seen a band get along so well and just every decision is talked about, pondered, you know, discussed between them while I'm sitting there and they're all in Swedish speaking for an hour. And I'm just like, okay, guys, can you feel me? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And they're like, oh, we want to turn up the snare drum. I'm like, that can't be all you just said for an hour. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's they're they're very much a democracy and producing them is great because they again know exactly what they want know what they're looking for but also really want to hear what i have to say and of course many times i'll say look let's try this and they're like that's a terrible idea okay next move on you know it just happens but then you know there's moments where like we come up with great ideas together so it really depends on the artist and then steel panther is a bit of a different situation because they're we're not always in the same room together they live in different cities some of the guys we have to do some of it over zoom and they don't all write together. The guitar player writes everything, all the music, all the lyrics, everything. Then the band comes in and tweaks it and arranges it and works on it with him. So it's a slightly different process, but you still end up with the same result, a great band. Um, so my job with them is slightly different because I'm 
basically just coming in to help them finish it, you know, finish the vocals, get the, try and get the comedy as funny as possible. This latest record, they self-produced. They did the whole thing themselves and then just sent me the tracks and I mixed it and it comes out probably next year. Got it. During the pandemic, you did some live streams. Yeah. With Mr. Bungle and you did the whole Avatar series, right? Yeah, we did four Avatar shows. We did Mr. Bungle, Anthrax. I think there was another one, but I'm not sure. But yeah, they were they were interesting. <laughs> A lot of work. Were you remote or were you there? Or how, like, how did that work? Mr. Bungle, I was there. I kind of oversaw the whole audio side of it with the director, Jack Bennett. Um, we filmed that in Sphere Studios in Burbank. We had a small group of people come, some industry people and friends to watch. It was intense, man. I mean, it was a small space for a band that loud and that extreme, but it turned out incredible. And getting to meet and work with Mike Patton and the whole band was just fantastic. And I'd worked with Dave Lombardo before and, of course, Scott Ian. But the rest of the Bungle guys I hadn't met before, so that was really cool. And I would mixed the Mr. Bungle studio record but again, that was all remote. You know, you're, it's all email yeah. and everything. And I, I could tell that, you know, Mike was just a genius and getting all his mixed notes and stuff. He'd send, you know, 40 paragraphs and it would say three things. He just, you know, he's like motor mouth in a totally good way. It's so funny. So then being in person with him in the live stream was just amazing. And he's just such an incredible singer. So of course yeah, that, it, yeah. it was all perfect and the band was spot on. So that was super fun. And then Avatar basically set up four different sets shot four complete sets over five four or five days you know their their film guy edited all the footage i mixed it you know and they're such a great live band as well that it was just ready to go oh Corey taylor we we rented the forum in inglewood and had fire and everything i mean we did a full-blown production with him with his show and that was pretty early on in covid so that was a big one and we had a really big production great sound crew and uh same thing you know just great director lots of cameras filmed it all edited it mixed it didn't have to fix anything because again you work with these great bands and they can play how much mixing or producing have you done of like live recording like live quite a bit actually not like not mixing at the concert but mixing for home viewing yeah lots of the yeah i mean the big four the big four dvd as mentioned earlier and two other anthrax dvds and yeah, lots of live concerts. I love mixing them. It's super fun. I did a Europe one, getting to mix the final countdown. That was super fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the hardest part of what you do? Mixing is really hard, you know, and it's why a lot of people don't mix or can't mix. It's so hard. Producing, anybody can be a producer. You can produce a record. You have ideas. You like songs. You have great things. As long as you had a great engineer at your side, you could absolutely produce a record. You just have to have a vision. Mm -hmm engineering obviously you need a little schooling you need to learn the technical aspect of it all the mixing boards all the gear you know getting things recorded properly the best microphones that's a whole you know that's years of schooling and experience or, or mentoring working under great engineers and producers but mixing is it, it's like a job on another planet it just it's not even remotely the same as producing it's similar to engineering because you're still engineering but again it's more creative and it's absolutely the most difficult thing to nail because the mix is everything you know even part of the production is part of the mixing so just getting everything eq'd right balanced right drums powerful guitars powerful vocals powerful bass powerful everything can't be loud so it's like getting that balance right and making it all work is so challenging and then i think you know making records with a band that's struggling or 
doesn't exactly know what they want, that can be hugely challenging too. Certain instruments are really hard to record. Getting incredible vocals can be difficult. You know, it's there's so many things that can be tough. Again, not looking for any names, but just general stories. If you ever had to deal with, um, I read a lot of autobiographies or biographies of, you know, rock and metal artists, and you know, in every in every book, there's stories about recording sessions where the bands are, you know, wasted on or on substances or whatever. Like, have you had to deal with that, and how do you manage that? I haven't had to deal with that too, too much. A little bit here and there. You know, I had a band a few years ago that, you know, I won't name names because everybody knows who they are. But there was a member that got pretty screwed up on mostly drinking. But during the record, we got him into rehab and got him clean and it all turned out great. So I think if you have the right people around you that are willing to support, then it can be dealt with in a timely manner. But I like yourself, read a lot of things about a lot of bands and it's not always been helped and the band members either left or passed away and, mm. you know, it can be very tragic. But I mean, you get, there's always going to be difficulty making records and every band doesn't get along perfectly. It's so rare, you know, a situation like Avatar is very rare, but every band there's, you know, people that rub each other the wrong way or they've been together for so long that there's, you know, those trigger points where they can, upset each other easily. So I end up being like the psychiatrist very often where I have to talk to them individually and smooth things over. And, you know, that's just normal. That's, you know, that I, you could probably apply that to your industry, to, to any industry. You have to manage people and people don't always get along. And especially when they're together for so long, because the band is like, you know, four or five people married to each other, really. Yeah. yeah. And then why, why where did your affinity for rock and metal come from in the first place like when did that start what was your i think growing up in detroit or on the canadian side of course in near windsor was the radio i mean detroit had five rock stations in the 80s you know and the riff is still around i think wlz might be gone but you know it was just such a big deal and everybody played detroit it was just such a mecca for all the big bands. I mean, Journey would come and do seven nights. Van Halen would come and do four nights. Kiss, of course, it was, you know, Detroit was like their place. And then in the early 90s with the whole Seattle explosion, I saw Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins, Helmet, Nirvana, Faith No More, Monster Magnet. I saw them all. It was overwhelming. And I just, my, you know, my older sister listened to a lot of pop music, like British New Wave. So I was listening to some of that and really liking it. And I love that style of music now. I just went to see Tears for Fears like a month ago. I love that music too. It's probably my second, like metal and like 80s New Wave are like my two most favorite, you know, types of music. I love The Cure and Depeche Mode and all that stuff. But when I heard and saw Iron Maiden and Metallica and Anthrax, and Pantera much later, it just blew my mind. I just love it. Who are your favorite bands today? I listen to a lot of music that I grew up with. I, you know, Led Zeppelin's my sort of all-time favorite band. I think Jimmy Page is like the greatest, one of the greatest producers, not just a great songwriter, but he produced all their records. And I love Rammstein. I just went to see them in Germany a few weeks ago in Dusseldorf. They put on probably the greatest show. I really like this new band, Spirit Box. I think they're really cool and their new single is fantastic. Oh, that uh, Turnstile, that new band, they're really cool. Um, I like them a lot. So yeah, it's just, I don't get a chance to listen to a lot of new music, but I listen to the, the Apple Music playlists all the time and try and listen to the new rock and new metal and see if there's stuff I like. And you know, a lot of it I don't love and it's, 
bringing in like sounds and different elements from different music styles that I, I don't necessarily get into, but you know, I don't like a lot of EDM in my metal, but you know, it happens and a lot of the younger bands are doing it. So I guess I'm kind of old in that way, but. You, uh, you said Zeppelin, right? So what do you, what's your take on Greta Van Fleet? You know, obviously everybody's going to compare them to Led Zeppelin because there's such a similarity in the sound songwriting wise. I think they're a very different band. I don't think their songs sound like Led Zeppelin. I think their sound sounds like Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin was extremely versatile. Their acoustic music and their heavy music were on completely different planets, but both were incredible. You know, if you look at Led Zeppelin 3, like Immigrant Song and That's the Way and Tangerine are all on the same record. Like Immigrant Song's a metal song. And then you have Tangerine, which is like this beautiful acoustic ballad. You know, it's just to me that's that type of diversity in their records is what made them the greatest band ever. Yep. And Greta Van Fleet, it, I don't listen to them all that much. I there's a their their first song, I think the highway song, I think is really, really good. I like that song a lot. I've seen them live. They're great live. That's what, yeah, that's what I was going to say is I was kind of on the fence and then I went and saw them and I thought they were just fantastic. Like what a great live. They're great live. I think whoever's handling their wardrobe though is trying way too hard. Like they wear these ridiculous clothes. I'm like, okay, you know, Jimmy Page wore that in 1974. Okay, it was a thing. But like, to me, that looks like they're trying really, really hard. And I'm like, don't, you don't have to try that hard. You're a great band. Like, just go play. Yeah, I'm actually going to be working with them um, at uh, Louder Than Life. Or not Louder Than Life, at uh, Bourbon and Beyond, it looks like this year. I don't know what oh, we're going to do yet, but we're going to do something fun together. Um, we got like four minutes left, Jay. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to promote? Where can people find you? If there's a young band out there that wants to contact you and send you their stuff. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on all the social media platforms, just at my name. And yeah, I'm always looking for young bands because, you know, believe it or not, a lot of A&R guys will hit me up and say, hey, if you have anything new or fresh that isn't discovered, please, you know, send it to us and maybe we can work on something. Because the most exciting thing is to grab a project when it's fresh and new. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard these days because of the internet, somebody's always involved. And I have three young bands that I'm looking at right now that are all writing great songs, have a great look, are really good bands, and nobody's touched them yet. And they're, at, they're actually in three different countries all over the world. So I'm always looking to develop things, but it's really challenging. It's expensive. You have to find ways to pay for it, especially if there's travel involved. So that can always be extremely difficult, but it's, that's a lot of fun to find something new and you know, cultivate it. Yeah, that's that's basically all we do at Blacklight Media is try to, you know, you know, our whole kind of um, purpose is to, you know, find bands that are unknown, that are fantastic and do our best to get, you know, the most ears in the world to listen to them. You know what I mean? Well, that's why you're on my list to play demos when I get things going with <laughs> these next couple artists. Excellent. Let's talk about uh, we got a couple minutes left. So let's talk about dogs. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, for the last 17 years my wife and i have rescued a ton of dogs just us personally probably about 12 or 15 and we had six dogs for about 15 years and they all lived to very old age and they all sadly passed away during covid our last one just passed away in april so for the first time in about 17 years we were dogless and right now we're fostering a little pocket pity and we've got a lot of interest in him but my wife has two rescue organization organizations one's called start rescue which is a transport Basically, it's a giant air-conditioned truck 
that holds about a hundred animals and we do dogs and cats and we pull them out of all the horrible like desert shelters out here that are you know killing a hundred a day and we send them up north to the shelters that are empty or rescues that are empty like washington state oregon even vancouver uh we're we're branching out into montana soon they just don't have the same problems that we have here in southern california um mm -hmm. You know, we're just, our shelters are just overrun. There's too many backyard breeders, people just breeding dogs for no reason. You know, it's just overflowing. South LA shelter had a hundred dogs dumped on them just on Friday. So, and July 4th is always the worst with all the fireworks, dogs escape and just, it's, it's horrible. So Start Rescue is the name of her main rescue. They've done 17,000 dogs in 10 years, which is a absolutely yeah. astonishing number for LA. Most LA rescues do a few hundred a year, but they're doing a hundred a month. Everything is traced. All the rescues are vetted that they go to. So, and we've pulled dogs from Korea, China, get them out of the dog meat trade. We've, you know, saved probably a few dozen from that situation, which is literally a, a drop in the bucket what's going on over there. So yeah, it's just, it's a huge part of our lives. We have a thrift store on Van Nuys Boulevard in Sherman Oaks called Start Rescue Resale that all the proceeds go to fund Start. And it's a great store because it's all like women's couture clothing, men's really nice clothing, small furniture items. It's, and it's all like really, everything's donated by people that have really nice stuff and they love animals. So they just bring us great things. And the stuff that we think we can't sell or isn't appropriate for the store, we donate to the veterans and Salvation Army and different places like that. Wow. That's really, really, really great work. Really great work. That's amazing. The fact that you can fit that into your life with how busy you are. And I know your wife does a lot of it too, but still just amazing. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of people around us that help out, you know, there's two other partners in the rescue that are amazing and lots of volunteers. So yeah, it's, it's great, great group of people. Matt, any last words? No, it's really interesting getting your insight on how artists are developing in production, especially in metal. So I was really, actually really excited for this one. Thank you. Cool. Of course. Yeah. Awesome. Jay, thanks so much. We got to get a hike in soon, but I'm leaving tomorrow for New York for two weeks. Then I'm back for a week. Then I'm going on my honeymoon for two weeks. So it'll have to be later in the summer, but we will get a hike in. It's too hot right now anyway to go hiking. So, but yeah, as soon as you're ready, you let me know. All right, brother. Thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate the support. And uh, yeah, go back to your day. Have a great day. Thanks guys. Thank you so much. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.